And we are back, my friends, to another edition of the Six Overtimes podcast. I am your host, Chaz Wagner. Joining me in the D-Town is Scott Wildermuth. How are you, my man? Hey, man. I'm doing pretty well. It's a little rainy here, which is too bad, but otherwise, doing excellent. How are you? It is a little rainy as a common theme throughout, the, I think, Big Eastland as a whole, as there's realignment going on all around us. But what the Six Overtimes podcast does is we stick to stuff on the court. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to talk Boise State hoops. All that mumbo-jumbo going on in San Diego State and Houston and UCF, we don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about some exciting games from last night and Monday night. The big one, Marquette pulls off a thriller in the garden. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that many lead changes in a long time. Then yeah, we it had, was an uh, excellent game. It was awesome. And then we had Syracuse getting it done in kind of a sloppy, scrappy way against Marshall. We had Nova, also part of the Jimmy V Classic, we're going to talk about where they lost a tough one. DePaul lost a tough one. Uh, St. John's, I don't know if I want to say a tough one. They lost another one. And then we're going to wrap up with Seton Hall, Pitt, and Providence all taking care of business across uh, across the Big East, Scott. Yeah, it was one hell of a night last night with the uh, Jimmy V Classic at Madison Square Garden. We had a doubleheader with the aforementioned uh, Nova, Missouri game. But let's talk about this Marquette uh, win over over the Washington Huskies, 79-77. And the big story here is that Jay Crowder drills a three uh, with about six seconds left to take the final lead change. I think there were 12 in the final uh, final half of the game. It was just, it was an impressive performance and a gutty performance by the Golden Eagles. No, dude, it was it was a fun game to watch. Uh, I was watching it with my my roommate, and he's not a huge uh, he's he's a sports fan, not a huge hoops fan, and he was questioning why Jay Crowder. He didn't even know his name. He said, "Why'd that guy take a three at the end of the game?" And I said, "He's clutch, and he's one of their best players." And you know, he could have gone for two. I think when when they kicked it out to him, there was a guy down low, I forget who it was, that was kind of open, but Crowder wanted the big stage, hit the big shot, and uh, you know he was rewarded for it. Yeah, the guy from Washington really had to guard two players. It was, it was the mm-hmm. forward, I think it was uh, Devontae Gardner, who was sort of flashing towards the basket, and he picked to uh, close out on Jay Crowder instead, and Crowder just drilled the three in his face where... I think Gardner probably would have gotten the offensive rebound and put back if not that if not the case. But you know, it, like you said, did you see that one? Did you see that one time when Gardner got thrown around on the on the defensive end? No, I didn't. Uh, Wilcox played a pretty good game for for Washington. He had a bunch of swats as well, but there was one instance where Gardner's a big boy, but he he kind of uh, he. He doesn't use his his. Uh, his I don't think he's that strong, and he just got manhandled by Wilcox. Yeah, and they know. were saying uh, during the during the game cast that he sort of plays below the rim, so he's not that explosive yeah. player either. But exactly, it's sort of goofy to see anyone get tossed around a little bit down low. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, though, that sort of gets buried in it all is. Vanderblue had that ridiculous dunk over uh, over one of the Washington Huskies players that is probably a YouTube sensation at this point. Yeah, it's it's funny seeing a 
point guard posterizing someone else. It's normally a big man coming in there and throwing it down over over a small guard that's trying to take a charge. But like we've said, Scott, throughout the year, Cadogan and Vanderblue are explosive, strong, really uh, – they're not going to shy away from contact down low, and that was for, that was awesome. Just seeing seeing them throw it down on the break. Yeah, it was definitely sweet. It was definitely sweet. Something that uh, <laughs> I wish I could say Buzz Williams' suit was sweet. I don't know if you got to see that, sweet. but he was wearing a little uh, gold suit jacket. He's a, I I don't know who's dressing him in. He's he's uh, he's in New York. I mean he's uh, he's an entertainer when it comes down to it. He's not just a basketball coach. That doesn't give him the right to take the jacket out of the Patrick Ewing collection. Come on. He shed some weight. He's looking thin. And when, you, when you're looking a little thin, fit, and trim, you tend to uh, feel a little more comfortable rocking those, those uh, you know, outfits that are somewhat questionable. Yeah, and, you know, there are a couple funny other points. Like, uh, Buzz always gives out. He he said that Jay Crowder he'll uh, row with that cat no matter where he goes when his career is over. Uh, nice. You know this guy just continues to show some personality. I, I love I love seeing it. Well, what about the other lines that uh, he was he was saying at the, at the end? He, well, he was saying that that they were probably a little um, why they didn't come out as strong was because they were they were tired and fatigued from the the Wisconsin game. Yeah, they said. Uh, we need a day to get some juice back because we're not very good without the juice. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Maybe that the the juice might be uh, what they have out in the Milwaukee. Some uh, some Miller Miller products. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And another great quote from this game too was uh, Dickie V was talking about the Jimmy V Foundation and. He, he was talking about how his wife said not to stand too close to Jay Wright, the Villanova coach, because he's uh, so good-looking. Yeah. But Dickie V said, I look ugly compared to anybody. <laughs> Jay Wright is Mr. Dapper, the, the three-piece suit. Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was really goofy and, and should be commented on. But uh, let's move on a little bit, and let's let's talk some Syracuse Orange, where... They sort of struggled for the first time this season and uh, in a six-point win where, you know, they, they looked in control last Friday, but in this game it sort of went back and forth a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't, well, they struggled in the, in the preseason NIT against Virginia Tech and Stanford. Marshall is a, is a good team. They beat Cincinnati a few weeks ago, another Big East team. I don't know if that's a result of... Marshall being that good, or Cincinnati is nowhere near what what we thought them to be. Sloppy game, as I said, for pretty low scoring for the the offensive output that Syracuse is used to. Only a, only a sixty two to fifty six game. Syracuse was was only forty one percent from the field, sixty five percent from the line. Uh, a lot of that a lot of that bad shooting. What I saw was from Brandon Trish, Scott. I he. Early on in the game, I didn't watch it at the very end, but that first half, he wasn't taking bad shots. They just weren't dropping, and that, that happens. And in, in, in anyone that's a shooter, especially Brandon Trish, uh, any shooting guard, any wingman, you got to keep shooting. Yeah, you go through droughts, uh, you know, so on and so forth throughout the season. The best way to counter that is just to get to the basket and I saw Trish have a, have a couple uh, steals and a couple easy lay-ins, so hopefully that will uh, matriculate into him getting some uh, 
confidence and shooting the ball well next game. Yeah, there's other ways for him to contribute. And when when Trish isn't hitting, Deion Waiters is always there to uh, to pick it up, and he had 15 points. And there was one play where he had this uh, off of one leg, this runner. It wasn't even in the lane. It was it was on the left um, on the left side of the court. Big man was was guarding him, and he threw up this rainbow arc that was was pretty as can be. And I want to ask you, Scott, what what there's always good runners and floaters from from players over the years. I want to know what players you you like that have that that uh, move in their repertoire. Well, I'll uh, I'll go I'll go old school, and it's got to be Mark Jackson with the teardrop. There we I mean, go. There's, there's just nothing better than seeing that happen at the Garden day in and day out for that the, those Knicks teams there. And Mark Jackson is uh, he was one of my favorite players growing up. It was it was uh, nifty. So I've uh, he's a big East I, guy. Yeah, he went to St. John's, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Talk, you talk about body control. He wasn't the quickest guy, but when he. Uh, when he when he got in the paint, that guy knew uh, knew exactly what uh, you know how he was going to navigate with the uh, the big men down low. Yeah, who's your uh, big floater of all time? <sighs> floater, Eric Snow always had Eric Snow always had a good runner runner in the lane. He wasn't the best shooter. He he, my friends growing up always said I looked uh, my shot looked like Eric Snow. So any, I don't know uh, if that's a compliment. No, it's it's certainly not a compliment, but hey, the guy played at Michigan State and he played played for the Sixers for for a while. So let's let's go with Eric Snow on that one. All righty. But yeah, in, in in this game, the one negative to take from this Scott that that I want to talk on was Syracuse got out re, out rebounded forty six to thirty three, and this Marshall team also out rebounded Cincy, which helped them pull out that that upset win. So you know, talking to you, I think it's gonna be interesting. We talk Big East teams, but looking at the other teams, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Marshall competes uh, down low against uh, these other teams in in the Conference USA. Yeah, I mean, so, what I've seen about Marshall so far is that they rebound exceptionally well and, and they stick with you and they, they don't give games away. So I think that they're going to be heard from a lot in Conference USA this year and have a real good chance at uh, at, at least competing with Memphis. Yeah, definitely. Another team uh, that moved on, moving on from Syracuse. Those were the those were the big wins in the Big East. Uh, Villanova was playing a very good opponent, Scott, in Missouri, and I, I don't think there's a team that looks uh, has exceeded expectations or been more impressive of anyone than Missouri and, and Frank Case team. Yeah, I mean, as much as you want to say that Cuse and uh, and wow. As much as you want to say that Cuse and Marquette had big wins, I would consider this a good loss for Villanova. Uh, losing by 10 to the Memphis, uh, Missouri Tigers, who, like you said, they're playing like one of the top five, six teams in the country, and they are so fast, Missouri, um, and they run the four-guard, one-forward set with this guy Ratliff in the middle, and Ratliff just is the beneficiary of all those guards cutting so quickly and creating open shots for him that I think he's like 27 of 30 in his last four games from the field or something like that. um, It was interesting to see Nova go up against a team that's very similarly built to them. And, you know, they stuck with him against a team that's a little bit better shooting, uh, a little bit more polished, and a little bit quicker. So 
uh, to me, it was a good takeaway. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I can ever go with it's a good loss because this was in Missouri's. You know, they're coming from the Midwest. They're coming into the Garden. There's enough Villanova fans in New York City, and it's kind of it's it's more pro Villanova, and it's their territory. And this game really wasn't that. They they got it close in the second half, but to see the quickness of Missouri just blow away Villanova's guards was was alarming to me. Along with Yaru, um, you know he he looked okay, but Missouri out of the the Power Six conferences, Scott, this is the smallest team out of all the Power Six conferences. So I wanted to see Villanova exploit that and and try and try and use that to their advantage in this game and I didn't you know we didn't see enough of it throughout. Well, I think they tried to take advantage of it by starting Pinkston over Hilliard and you know I think Pinkston just didn't play as a big and played more as a guard and sort of settled into that four guard rotation that Nova has sort of been playing all season. But I think Yaru had a good game and and him against Ratliff was a con- constant battle. And when he, when he has to defend the paint against faster guards um, that are beating your guards off the dribble, it's impossible to be able to guard two guys at one time. That's just the case. And I know that there's no moral victories, and I'm with you there, but Missouri's just a flat-out better team than Villanova, and Villanova's stuck with them. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, as, as yeah, if, if we uh, if we acknowledge that and understand that, that's fine. I guess you know, saying that Yaru played well and Pinkston played well, it had to fall. No, I don't on, think Pinkston played very well. You don't think he played very well? Well, yeah, I guess Wayans and Cheek they had fourteen points and twelve points respectively. For Nova to win a game like this, you're going to have to get even more of a contribution from from their their guards and their leaders. Yeah, and. Even expanding on that further, uh, they started just hoisting shots when it was working when they went down low to Yaru to make uh, Ratliff guard him in the in the paint. And I think Yaru only had five or six shots all game. And, you know, he should have been demanding the ball. They should have been feeding him through, uh, through the post in the second half when they cut it to seven and five just to get it into one-possession territory. But for whatever reason... Dom Cheek and Waynes and and Bell didn't defer to him. I, I don't know what they were thinking about. Yeah, and another tough loss was uh, to a very impressive another team that's looking very impressive in this first month of hoops is is the Milwaukee Panthers, and they they took it to DePaul, eighty seven to seventy six. Scott. Yeah, Milwaukee's now eight and one, and I think they're two and zero oh on the horizon, and. It it was it was a good opportunity for the Blue Demons to really pick up a quality win in the non-conference following that disappointing loss last week, and uh, I'm a little bit, you know, for lack of a better word, disappointed in their output on their home court. I, I don't understand why they can't pull out a win uh, against a lesser opponent. To your point, in the Nova game, when someone travels to your neck of the woods. You should really be able to at least compete, if not uh, beat those guys. Yeah, Milwaukee was putting up silly numbers. It, it, like you said, especially it's at DePaul. You figure you're gonna, it's gonna be tough for 
opponents like this to come in and score, and they let them shoot above 60% from the field. Um, they're knocking down trays from everywhere. I mean, they, like you said, this is this is kind of uh, Milwaukee's a good club, but that's that's unac- unacceptable on the defensive end for for this DePaul team. Yeah, it's like video game numbers, and yeah. to be honest, like. They shot over 60% from the field, but they also got to the line 30 times. It's just, and they made 11 three-pointers. It's just, there's no defense at all. I just, what is DePaul doing committing 25 fouls and sending him to line 30 times? It just, it's it's befuddling. I'm befuddled. Yeah, and plus, I mean, they're the Milwaukee Panthers. They're not, they're not anyone that special. Exactly, exactly. And another thing was Milwaukee out-rebounded DePaul, and Milwaukee runs a three-guard set where uh, DePaul runs three forwards, and they still got out-rebounded on their home turf. This seems like it was a toughness test for DePaul, and they mm-hmm. failed miserably. Hey, what you said, Missouri is is a flat-out better, better team than Villanova. Heck, this might be the case with with Milwaukee. They might just be a better team than DePaul, who I think we're we're finding is at the bottom once again in the Big East Conference. Yeah, that could be the case. I mean, I would have to see Milwaukee play a little bit more, but uh, off the jump, I don't know if I can make the difference that the disparity between the two teams is as great as the Villanova and Missouri game. Yeah. Well, let's move on from the the tough losses. Let's go to some easy wins and stuff yeah. that was stuff that was in the bag that didn't have to stress all that much. And that was let's start with Seton Hall. They took down the NJIT Highlanders, who probably are one of the worst teams in Division One. Uh, I don't even know if they deserve that rec- uh, that classification, but that's where they play. But Seton Hall, they looked, you know, they ended up winning 78 to 48, Scott. In the first half, it's this classic case of not focused. Uh, they, they were sleepwalking for the, through the first half after having not an emotional game against Auburn, but the crowd was into it. Everyone was rocking on a week, you know, uh, a Saturday night, um, at, at, at the rock. And this was just, you know, just a ho-hum game. And Kevin Willard, rightfully so, got on him at halftime and, and really, um, really said that, you know, you, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna fly the rest of the year. Yeah. And they, uh, they responded to Willard's little speech there with a 29-2 run, uh, in the second half to really break it open. Um, I guess, uh, what, ha- <laughs> I guess the question is, what happens when uh, Fuquan really delivers just a mediocre uh, performance? That's what ha- the the world. Uh, I think it's more what's when when Fuquan doesn't hit double figures. It's more what's what's wrong with the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that that coupled with her Pope not hitting a double double, you would have thought that that Syracuse would have been blown out tonight. There, but there was some, you know Jordan Theodore picked up the double double. Uh, with, with 11 points, 11 assists. But what I'm really, uh, happy about and content with is, is, uh, you, you know, our bet is, is getting closer and closer to Kevin Jones and Herb Pope. Yeah, I'm double, so double bitter bet. about that. Ugh. It would have been a perfect opportunity for me to get up 2 nothing on you. Cause NJIT is just awful. 
I, I don't think Kerr Poe played enough minutes to uh, – he put up the points, but he wasn't in that long to, to rack up the boards. Yeah, he always plays enough minutes. No excuses. How about, well, how about Seton Hall moving on from this NJIT game? Big game against your alma mater on Saturday night. Yeah, they play Wake Forest uh, up in up in Orange, New Jersey. Uh it's going to be an interesting game. Wake is not very good this year. Uh, we have a couple players. We have this guy, Makai, who's a really nice guy, and and uh, C.J. Harris, who's a nice guard, who actually match up against Fuquan and Jordan Theodore decently well. So that will be two interesting matchups. But where uh, the real advantage goes to Seton Hall is that her Pope play is going to probably get a lot of minutes against our Really tall, thin, white dude, Carlos DeRosers. Um, and he's just, he he sort of settles for outside shots and really tries to pull the defenders out. So might not be a good opportunity for her to get another double-double. Yeah, his uh, the description, really tall, thin, white dude, I don't think he's going to go up. Uh, Herb Pope is a beast down low. Exactly. <laughs> I've never seen this weight guys play, but... I think he's in in for a long night. Uh, he's a seven footer that weighs about two hundred and forty pounds and shoots threes. It's ugly. There we go. Well, moving on from you know and following that trend of of easy victories, Pitt took down VMI ninety seven to seventy last night. Not much we can we can speak of on this game as it wasn't on TV and it wasn't on their home away from home ESPN three for all of us not in the area. Um. Let's see here. Uh, Kem Birch started uh, once again for uh, over Dante Taylor. I think that's one story to watch. Although as the game unfolded, Dante Taylor, Dante Taylor, old man, old man Taylor played much better than Kem Birch. <laughs> I like and that. And Scott, it's going to be interesting to see how Jamie Dixon deals, handles the minutes, and who starts and. How he's gonna? Is it a matchup thing? How he's gonna share those minutes between those big men? Yeah, it's it's. I have no idea what Dixon's gonna do, but to me, it feels like he's trying to stir the pot and get uh, old man Di- uh, old man Taylor a little bit riled up, and hopefully this sort of spurs him on to really contribute both on the offensive and defensive side from here on out at a at a much higher level than where he was. Um. But with that said, if if old man Taylor doesn't do that, Ken Birch is a pretty good replacement. Yeah, definitely. He's he's been playing well. And the thing that's that's been bugging me is Ashton Gibbs has not been. He's putting up the points. He's averaging nineteen or twenty a game. But every time I look at his final numbers, it's seven for nineteen from the field, six for twenty one. Mm, his overall shooting percentage is not very efficient. And I think that's even Jamie Dixon said it in the post game, Scott, that's going to go down now that he's playing more of the point. Now that Trey Woodall has, is, is out for the, the month of December and Gibbs is probably going to be working harder on the defensive end. He's going to be a little tired on his shot and I would have thought that his senior year, he would have, you know, really been working on finding that mid-range jumper, which are higher percentage shots. And it looks like he's still settling for that long bomb from from behind the arc. Yeah, and 
maybe it's just he's in a cold streak. Maybe it's defenses are scheming uh, more against him, so we need some other players to take the pressure off of him. But you're right, he's he's pretty inefficient from uh, the field this season so far, and it's a lot of those 19 shots for 21 points or 14 mm-hmm. shots for 17 points. It's a lot of that kind of stuff, yeah. and you he's don't working, like seeing that. He's working hard for those to get that 20-point mark. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I got a question for you as a Pitt fan. I mean, how long can Dixon continue to have Cameron Wright in the lineup when he just has that real goofy shot that rarely goes in? I mean, they're going to need offense somewhere without Trey Woodall on the court, right? Not much longer. They they play Oklahoma State on, on Saturday in the Garden. Keep him in much longer. He can't hit anything. Uh, he, he looks totally incompetent from the field. And, yeah, he's a good defender. Throw him in there to shut down, you know, if if they're playing a really good offensive guy, say a Jeremy Lamb or a Kilpatrick or a Brandon Trish, go in and, and play him for a few minutes. But that's about it because you got to – in the Big East, you need contributions on both sides of the ball. And I just see – um, John uh, Johnson and J.J. Moore just being more of a balanced balance player right now. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll be in much longer either. Um, and going on to our third team that really took care of business on on Monday night was Providence Friars took down the Brown Bears eighty to forty nine. Um, I of course took this game. I took Providence minus twelve and a half. Finally, feels good to have a. Um, undefeated night I, I needed it desperately mm-hmm. but there are a couple things that we uh, I just want to do some housekeeping here uh, it was announced after the game that freshman Kiwi Gardner from uh, Oakland California who was supposed to be their fourth or fifth guard off off the bench was declared ineligible for the entire season so it's it's tough to see that one uh, Tough to yeah, see he, him lose him. He was the YouTube sensation, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you want to see some more highlights and uh, showboating from him. Yeah, but moving on to the game, though, is, uh, you know, Vincent Council almost had a triple-double. And it just continues that stretch where these got these four guys, be it Council, Cotton, uh, LaDante, Henton, and uh, Gerard Coleman, are continuing just to light up the scoreboard. Yeah, the three C's, they're really relying upon them. Uh, how how short, how close was he to the triple-double? What, he missed? Uh, he needed one, one rebound. more rebound. Not many, uh, not much rebound. Herb, you know, it must have been a tough, Syracuse didn't rebound well last night. Herb Pope didn't get to his double-double. Yeah. Just tough uh, crashing the boards last night all, all along the Big East. Yeah, and even Syracuse was out-rebounded by, by Marshall. Marshall. By a, a wide margin. Oof. It was ugly. It was ugly. But this game was not, at least for Providence, and they were never behind the entire game, and uh, they had a 17-point lead for the entire second half at the very least. It's got to feel good for these Providence Friars to beat the hell out of their neighbors, the Brown Bears, especially because they're an Ivy League team. Yeah, and you know what's funny, Scott, is... Ed Cooley wants to really slow down the game, but when you're playing an opponent like Brown in the Ivy League, and I think we're going to see this with Princeton and Rutgers tonight, 
is I don't care what your mentality is. When you have superior athletes as Providence does compared to Brown, throw your mindset and your game mentality that you try and instill in your players game in and game out and just say go out and and beat the heck out of these guys because you you, you literally cannot – keep that slow pace against a brown a brown brown bears team yeah exactly and and they did exactly what you said i mean they scored 80 points their game plan was to outrun these guys and, and they did and uh they really just took care of business and got the w yep they they took care of business and one team that is taking care of business on the losing end would have to be the saint john's red storm Oh, another one. These guys lost 69-63 to to Detroit. And Detroit's a tough team for me to figure out. They were predicted second in the Horizon League behind Butler. They played Notre Dame tough early in the year. I still think they have talent, but they ended up, they, they were 3-6 and six going into this game. And those three wins were, two of them were against non-Division One teams. And then the third, their only Division One win was against Austin P in overtime. And Austin P is, I believe, 0-9 at this point. Yeah, that's just ugly. I, I thought that Detroit was going to get up for this game because this was the oh, Dickie for sure. V uh, dedication. The Dickie v dedication. You knew this. And St. John's needs to... Realize that and and go out and play 40 minutes of basketball. They didn't do that. Nuruddin Lindsay had another poor performance. He didn't get into foul trouble, but what did happen, which we were starting to see way too much of, is the turnovers, Scott. And he had only four points and six turnovers. And when you have more turnovers than points, that's a really tough way to win. Yeah, it's just it's just not very good. Um, it's, they can't win when their starting point guard and probably their second best player at creating his own shot behind Mo Harkless is just not protecting the ball and not being efficient with his, with his points. Um, this is a team that has proven in the past couple weeks that they're going to struggle to score the basketball and this continued on this night and, you know, we talked about inefficiencies with the basketball with with Ashton Gibbs. I mean, I would even say Mo Harkless is the king of inefficiency. He's always shooting tons of shots and, you know, scoring less points and shots taken. Uh, yeah, Mo, Mo Harkless, he's a freshman. He's no one else is, is taking those reins. So good for him for stepping up and putting himself out there. And he's going to miss shots and make some mistakes along the way. But I, I remember... Almost a month ago now, Scott, I went to that exhibit. I believe it was the last exhibition game of yeah. of St. John's, and and I forget who they played. They looked horrible. They looked really just a bad team, and I was surprised that they came out and won those first three games. Then they looked good in the Garden against Arizona, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe this team's going to be pretty good this year, or maybe I was totally right in my assessment after that ex exhibition game, that this is going to be a long year, and they really need some people back uh, the second semester. Those guys are ineligible. Or I'd even go as far as to say not that this year is a loss, but everyone's really looking forward to 
looking to next year already with with even a, a deeper recruiting class coming in. Yeah, it's almost like you get those uh, red storm colored glasses after you watch them play so well against Arizona. Um, yeah, but I think you got to take them off. You got to see this team for what they are, and they're inefficient, and they don't have a leader right now, and no one's really stepped into that role. And the people that have uh, or have tried to, most notably Nordine Lindsay, has you know I, I hate to say it this early in the season, but failed. You can say it. I, yeah. I'm not offended. <laughs> so well, let's let's move on. Uh, he's a bad player. Let's go to our <laughs> player of the Monday slash Tuesday night frame. Let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, there's to me, there's no other guy than Jay Crowder who drilled that three at the end of the Marquette game mm-hmm. uh, with six seconds left to give the Golden Eagles their continued undefeated streak, um, and. You know, he just does so much more than that. He's such a glue guy. He rebounds exceptionally well, and he's one of those main cogs behind DJO that really leads the Marquette Golden Eagles to uh, victory more often than not. Yeah, big shot by a big player on a big stage. That's that's what he did. Exactly. And awesome to see. Uh, Another player that's hitting, he hasn't hit a big shot yet, but my player of the night is Nasir Robinson, and this is kind of from his body of work the last the last week going to the Tennessee game and, and earlier. The reason why I'm I'm crowning him with a championship six overtimes belt is his field goal percentage. We talked about Ashton Gibbs being a little in, inefficient. Nasir Robinson is a stark contrast to that. He's shooting almost seventy. Some I want to say 71% from the field. Don't quote me on that. But the guy, he was 8 eight of 9 against VMI. He's shooting high percentage shots. He It looks like he's always shooting a layup. But good for him for finding good positioning. And he, he kind of reminds me, Scott, of our boy Chevy Troutman uh, from, from years past uh, on the, those pit teams where this guy would 55%, 60%. You just know when he is, when he's going to put up a shot. It's it's a very calculated one, and it's going to go in. So that's my uh, that's my boy for the night. Yeah, he's definitely playing well, and he's balancing out those inefficiencies on, on the uh, on the outside from those Pittsburgh guards. Yeah. Um, so moving forward, we we have a couple of games to look forward to on Wednesday and Thursday night. We will be recording on Friday morning, so we'll be recapping these games uh, and previewing the weekend's games. But tonight, on Wednesday, we got IUPUI against Louisville, uh, Princeton at Rutgers, and DePaul at Loyola of Illinois. Sort of a weak schedule, but it gets a little little hot on Thursday when number 24 Harvard visits UConn. Yeah, that's going to be an awesome game. Big New England game. Tommy Amaker has his boys 8-0, first Ivy League team ranked in in who knows Years. when. Yeah. Another another New England uh, showdown of former Big East teams or former Big East team coming back. Boston College going going to Providence. Boston College is down this year, but still they're going to play him tough. Maine playing ND, and then another intriguing. Uh, storyline is Bobby Huggins and West Virginia going. He's going to back where he he uh, formerly coached in in Kansas State, going into Manhattan. Yeah, it's going to be a great uh, schedule of games on Thursday. 
And, you know, Maine is no slouch either against Notre Dame. So I think that all the Big East teams are going to have tough opponents and tough. It's going to be hard for them to definitely get a win. So maybe we maybe we should start saying ND is no slouch for ooh, for Maine. Uh, ooh. Any any team that Notre Dame plays, we we should uh, we should flip the roles. <laughs> I was trying to do that subtly, but um, you know I, I think you're right. There's some um, Thursday. There are some intriguing storylines. Very, I think it's it's Friday. We're gonna have a, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Definitely, definitely, and. Um, speaking of good things to talk about, I went 2-0 on Monday, so I'm getting back to respectability. Quit your um, boasting. And I'm going to I'm gonna get another 2-0 tonight when I take uh, Princeton getting 6.5 against Rutgers. I think they do slow the ball down like we were talking about earlier. You know, Rutgers is just too inefficient with shooting the ball. They've just been ridiculously bad with that. And for some God-forsaken reason, DePaul is only giving four and a half to a one and seven Loyola team. Uh, I'll, I'll lay the points and and be a uh, be a rook there and take a favorite. But that's what I'm going with tonight. Nice. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see that Princeton Rutgers game. Obviously, Princeton wants to slow it down. I think they're going to be able to do that which forces this Rutgers team to play a managed and controlled and ultimately an efficient half-court offense. They struggled with it against LSU on Saturday. Yep. And you need to see that's when turnovers come is is in, is in the half-court. So it's going to be interesting to see how how those um two sides uh two styles collide. Certainly and like I said, I like Princeton. I, I almost like them to win, but we'll we'll see if they can cover that six and a half point spread. Um, so that about does it for the Wednesday, December seventh edition of the Six Overtimes podcast. Like always, thanks again for stopping by. Uh, if you want to, if you have a comment about something that we're talking about, if you have a question, want to want to just get something off your chest about how. Nova's plan or whatever. You can hit us up on Twitter at six overtimes or email us at six overtimes at gmail.com. And like always, our website is sixovertimes.us. Visit us, hit us up, and uh, we'll see you on Friday. Peace. Peace.